Hi, I'm Derek Stacy, the product owner for Acapost Track in North America at BNR Industrial Automation. And for me, automation is flexibility. Uh, welcome to today's episode of This Is Automation. Uh, today we've got a very special guest with us, Derek Stacy. So, hello, Derek. How's it going? Going very good. We're here at the uh, BNR Roswell office at 7 a.m. So that uh, there's no noise here. But if you hear some uh, noise towards the end of the episode, that's probably because people are starting to show up to work. So, Derek, before we get started talking about Acapost Track, uh, tell me a little bit about yourself and uh, what your history is with BNR. Sure. So my background is from uh, mechanical engineering, um, but I sort of stumbled into automation from my last company. Um, I did like linear actuators and ball screw belt-driven systems, uh, and they needed some motors to, to drive them for a trade show uh, exhibition. And so, you know, started, got trained up on, on BNR components and hardware uh, to do that. And then was like, man, this is actually kind of cool. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, you know, BNR does this boot camp where they, they train you from, from mm -hmm. zero to, to an automation engineer. And so that's sort of how, how I got started in this. And so I've been with BNR now for five years uh, and worked a little bit with R&D and now sort of moved on to the product side. Um, yeah, I got to spend a lot of time in Austria at the beginning, but uh, it's been very, very cool so far. And, uh, you know, I was happy enough to work for BNR that I bought myself a bright orange suit to really represent mm -hmm. BNR. Yeah, that was uh, AutomationCon 2018, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The first and only time it's left the closet. <laughs> it's really, it's very difficult to find the right occasion. Yeah, the right occasion. For, for orange, but you know, maybe Halloween. Yeah, there you go. So what is it that you do now? Uh, so I work on, the, on, like I said, on the product side for product management here. Okay. Um, for North America, which means I'm responsible for, for dealing between uh, sales and, and R&D, trying mm -hmm. to make sure, you know. Customers enjoy the products they're they're working with. Mm -hmm. So I guess that means that you spend a good bit of time with our customers, specifically focused on Acbos Track. Yes. Okay. Yep. So anytime that there's someone who's trying to get you know introduced to it, or or is trying to sort of figure out for them how does it work best. Okay. Um, you know, we we bring the product knowledge; they have to bring the process knowledge. But I think together we really can find some unique solutions. Okay. Good. So I guess before we start talking in too much detail about Acbos Track. I wanted to kind of give a quick intro um, that, that we give sometimes to customers. So there's a, uh, a thing that we like to talk, talk about called the S-curve of innovation. Uh, so this is um, basically where we're talking about, uh, you know, what's the difference between disruptive technology and the sustaining technology? And usually the people that are innovating those two things are not the same people, right? Yes. So, yeah, the difference here is really new market players are the ones with disruptive technology, and then the incumbent market players are, are just trying to sustain what they have. And so this is uh, kind of ripped off from a Guy Kawasaki uh, talk, um, and he talks about jumping the curve. So how do you get from, uh, you know, the, the S-curve of innovation from, from you know, uh, 1.0 to 2.0 to 3.0 and so on and so forth. So that the what I thought a really good example that he gives is in the ice industry. So ice 1.0 is uh, harvesting ice, right? So we've got these big 
big frozen lakes and we go out uh, and, and literally dig up the ice and then, you know, uh, buy horse and buggy, take it into town, right? So, you know, the, the way that you uh, innovate there is, you know, you, you get more horses, you, you get a sharper saw, you get a bigger saw, right? And you make it more efficient to, to harvest the ice. Uh, but to jump the curve to the next generation of ice technology, uh, you're talking about like an ice factory. So a centralized location where we're, we're actually manufacturing ice. And the people that are developing sharper saws are not the people developing ice factories. It's also like location-based, right? Right. Ice 101, you had to live near mm-hmm. a lake. Mm-hmm. You had to have crazy harsh winters. Yep. You know, only people in northern Chicago yep. could get ice. Right. And nobody right. wants to live in northern right. Chicago. <laughs> right. All the people down Alabama, very difficult to get themselves uh-huh. ice. So, yeah, go into this more, you know, manufacturing definitely helped spread it. So now, like, the benefits are definitely different for for depending on where you live. And now everybody can get it. And Mm -hmm. and a lot of it, I think, comes from, you know, what do you see yourself as? Do you see yourself as a company that cuts ice out of Mm -hmm. lakes? Mm -hmm. Or are you providing, you know, temperature control to right. your customers. And I think that's that's the one thing that you see when you when you mentioned the new market players versus the incumbent people is mm-hmm. I see myself as a refrigeration company, someone who controls temperature uh-huh. versus no, I just make blocks of ice and ship right. them out right. or I cut blocks of ice. Yep. Uh, and so that's that's really sort of where where we're seeing this for right. sure. Right. Yeah, so I mean you, you mentioned like the the difference between making ice and controlling temperature being like your core focus. So that's like kind of the the ice 2.0 if we're stick, sticking with that example to 3.0 where now you've got people you can every, everybody that's listening has you know an ice machine in their house or apartment right and again the people that were building out those ice factories were focused on making ice and delivering ice and you yeah. know building bigger warehouses or whatever it may be and then you've got new players that come in and, and they're like well why don't why don't we just make an ice machine that's smaller and can fit in your house right so and I guess, how do we translate this to Aquastrack? <laughs> so, yeah. so what would you call like transport 1.0, 2.0, and then 3.0 is, is presumably this, this track technology? Exactly. Yeah. So, so you look at it, it's like uh, the classic picture of, of like the Fords walking off the line. You just have these long, mile long conveyors where you've got one person putting on one component and then it kind of rolls down the next. And so that's sort of the, the line shaft, you know, long, massive conveyor. Everything runs at a fixed speed. Um, and then I'd say like the next innovation from there is servo motion control. So now not, is it mechanically linked? So your timing is going to be, you know, fixed gears and cams and hardware. It's going to be an electronic clock, Mm -hmm. right? Everything's going to be servo driven. So you're going to have some PLC or some PC that broadcasts, you know, time out to the individual pieces. And then they run at their own sort of speed of that time, but it's still, sort of link that way electronically. And then obviously now with track technology, we're trying to sort of break that apart and say, listen, you don't need this centralized time. Mm-hmm. Everybody's on their own thing, you know, yep. cars on the street, right? Nobody's, I mean, we should because there's speed limits, but nobody <laughs> drives, you know, at the same speed. And so we should allow for sort of that variability yeah. by giving everybody their own sort of, all right, yeah. I mean, you sort of have to follow your same path, right? Because mm-hmm. it's, it's mm-hmm. a track. So you're not going to be able to get away from that, but uh, yeah. everybody can pick their own speed based on what their needs are, right? Mm-hmm. I think that's that's probably the, the the easiest parallel to see it is, you know, sort of a little bit more free-for-all than anything else mm-hmm. today. Good. Awesome. So I'm excited to dive into that a little bit more, but I always like to dig into the history first. I think I'm a, a little bit of a history geek, so... <laughs> 
I, I don't know if you can tell me much about the history of Akbos track because it's pretty new, but as far as track technology itself, I know there's some uh, some other players in, in that realm. We've got, you know, Jacob's Automation, yeah. which, you know, is has now migrated to, to Rockwell. That's right. Uh, so I guess they, they got bought out in, oh, when was that, 20. 20- 15 or something like that uh so and then you know you've also got the magnum ocean which is now a rockwell yeah uh, acquisition as well so w- what can you tell me about the different players and kind of where they came from and, and how uh bnr fits into that that picture a lot of it in the, in the north american market was jacob's automation and, and so they put together you know what's now known as as the eye track um and it was pretty innovative as I mean, it's, you, you think about it it was like each shuttle each mover is its own servo um it was able to hold, you know, it still is quite a, quite a few pounds of payloads, probably one of the higher payload systems on the market. Um, it's a pretty heavy, heavy duty system as far as being able to sort of shove things around. Um, but obviously starting from a small company and then getting bought by someone like Rockwell, you know, the, mm-hmm. that transition period um, can be quite quite long, right? Because now mm-hmm. you've got to adopt it and, and spread that knowledge to a much, much larger organization. And so I think right now they're, they're finally sort of getting up to speed with it, whereas the Magnamotion side was built more for, you know, lab level, right? It was mm-hmm. it was more about sort of puck moving, right? You could see from the design of their movers that it's meant for placing, you know, a plastic puck or some machined uh, component on it to then mm-hmm. place product in and nest it uh, yep. and be able to sort of shuttle them around. So the, the focus was, you know, couldn't be further one side to the other of sort of heavy metal, move things quick and fast and heavy around versus somewhere we kind of want to be a little more delicate and move things around a little bit more slowly. Uh, but those are two great examples of sort of what we're going to term like racetrack versus train yard. Racetrack mm-hmm. being sort of a single continuous loop. Uh, it may not be an oval. It may, you know, differ from that, but it's going to be a single path. Uh, whereas train yard, if you think about it, can be parallel paths. You know, when you, you know, pull up into the, the MARTA station or whatever, you can see there's multiple train stations, mm-hmm. multiple paths. And then as it goes across, you've got all the switches and mm-hmm. the branching from there. And that's something that they can take advantage of being able to sort of deliver product to various different positions uh, within a machine or, or between machines. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's sort of what we wanted to bridge between is have a train yard style where we could have the flexibility and the shape definitions um, that you don't get from a single fixed path. Uh, but we needed to obviously be a little bit more powerful, a little bit heavier duty, only because, um, you know, BNR traditionally does packaging, right? Mm-hmm. So we have to focus on, well, what packaging OEMs and what packaging machines sort of need. And we, we dial it in very much around, around that mindset. Mm-hmm. I, I think we did a... <laughs> very good job yeah but, I think so. uh, but yeah so so we sort of piggyback on that uh, but we also piggyback you know your the next piece is obviously ATS you know mm-hmm. our, our friends up in Canada mm-hmm. in fact I was I was just there okay last week good so what what does ATS do how, so, are, how are they related to BNR yeah so uh, ATS is a automated tooling system so so they are a line integrator for everything um Everything from medical devices to pharmaceutical to consumer electronics. Um, they even do some power generation stuff. So they get okay. involved. They've got like a nuclear and, and, and traditional fuels business as well. So they're, they're quite large. And, mm-hmm. and so they utilize track technology, specifically the SuperTrack, mm-hmm. uh, which was their sort of internal competitor to um, the iTrack as far as shape and design and layout. 
mm-hmm. but because it was totally used internally, you know, the, the general market never got to see it. And so BNR was lucky enough that um, we partnered with them on their their PCs, their hardware side, uh, and we're like, hey, guys, you know, you're building your own computers. That's mm-hmm. not really a sustainable business model for someone mm-hmm. who isn't Intel sure. or, you know, Dell or whomever. Uh, and so with that, we sort of got plugged in with them and that that helped spur on a lot of this innovation because they held a lot of patents. And, and so we sort of piggybacked on their technology a little bit different than than, than the iTrack because we utilize mm-hmm. The permanent magnets a little mm-hmm. bit more. So mm-hmm. actually, we don't we don't grab onto any rails. We don't grab onto the track physically. Uh, we're sort of just smacked Stuck on, on it via, exactly via magnetics. Yeah. So this is a, a little bit of a tongue in cheek question, but what happens when you turn the power off? Do all the shuttles just <laughs> fall off? <laughs> no. I mean, they they freewheel for sure, but okay. uh, but no, they don't. They don't fall off, and that's, that's you know, yes, kind of a benefit I think yeah, in automation sure. systems. Good. So I guess now let's let's start talking about the the nitty gritty of Akpos Track, and uh, I, I'm just curious what what is the the like craziest pronunciation that you've gotten? Because I get a I get a lot. <laughs> uh, I saw I've had people sort of flounder about three letters in and mm-hmm. just go the track. We know the what track, we're talking about. Yeah. We're calling it the track. <laughs> you know, it's 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 the B and R track. It's yeah. Like, okay, that that works for me. But what about yourself? I, so I've I've heard Apacus. A lot. Ooh. Um, a sock pass. Um, it, it, there's, there's a lot of times where it, it, people just start with an A and then just a, a blur of, of sound comes out <laughs> after that. So. I mean, for, for everyone listening, it's, it's you know, spell A-C-O-P-O-S. Yes. Track. And the correct pronunciation is? Akapos. Akapos. So, yeah, the first time actually that I heard about Akapos track, I was in Austria and we, we had met with uh, one of the uh, sales guys who was over there for something else. And he was like, oh, have you seen this new Akapos track stuff? And I was like, oh, no, what, what is that? Tell me about it. But I thought he said octopus track. And so for like six months after, because didn't, I didn't hear anything else about it, I was like, octopus track, that's such a weird name. But all right, let's 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 see. So we've got this running joke in the Southeast team now that there's a, an octopus track in development. And it's a, it's like a, a super track or, or octopus track with like really high payloads. And then there's an articulated arm robot and eight shuttles. So you've got like uh, eight robots flying around on the track and that's your octopus. Ah. Yeah. So just some ideas that you okay, can uh, you pitch know to R&D. The, the next... Uh, application I see that could use that many robots. Yeah. I feel like I'm just going to draw it out exactly yeah. like that. I mean, that's a, whatever happens, happens, yeah. right? It so. makes me think of the, the carnival ride. Yeah. <laughs> Good. So, okay, we got the name out of the way. So just tell me what... Aquapost track is a long stator linear motor. Is that the right terminology? Yes, LLM. Okay, for sure. So tell me what that is. It, let, let's assume I know how a servo motor works, so we don't need to talk about all the electromagnetics yeah. of yeah, it. Yeah, sure. Just, yeah, tell sure. me. Tell me how that translates. Essentially, we just take a standard servo and cut down one side and laid it out flat. And so, um, <clears throat> excuse me, the the rotor become sort of the, the shuttle, so the mover. Uh, so instead of having a, like a three-phase rotary movement, we take a single phase for the permanent magnet, uh, and then we're just moving it and sliding it back and forth along along the um, stator. 
So mm-hmm. each of the coils, as we actuate them, sort of pulls the permanent magnet around via the magnetic field. Um, yeah, it, I mean, it, you know, it sounds pretty easy as far as that, but obviously if it was easy, then a lot more companies would be doing it. But uh, there's a lot of nuance to it, but it's it's pretty standard technology. I mean, for, for, for us, we sort of enclosed it, encapsulated it with our current standard technologies, right? Our standard drive is controlling mm-hmm. it, no different than it would a stepper motor or servo motor or whatever, you know, from our, our Akpas micro family. Mm-hmm. So um, it's really the accumulation of, of standard technologies just yeah. in a different form factor. Okay, cool. So you, you mentioned there's uh, shuttles and track segments. What else makes up an Akpas track and like how do all those things kind of play together from, from a mechanical standpoint and then gotcha. also yep. the like electrical control side of things? It, it, so the last piece is really the the rails, right? So we, we actually do it as, you know, as B&R, we love our three-piece. I don't know if you're talking yeah, about yeah. it. It's <laughs> yeah. uh, but we love our three-piece design. And so the, the rails, just like you would think um, from... A roller coaster are on the top and the bottom or, or left and right side. And then the, the mm-hmm. thrust is placed in the middle. So the, the magnetic push. Uh, and then the, the shuttles are essentially the car. So they just set on it with a couple of wheels. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's that's the basic mechanical system. Um, and I'm sorry, I got, what was the rest of the... the yeah, so, so the mechanical side, that, that sounds good. Yeah. And then on the electrical side, control side, what, what is that architecture? Gotcha. So, so we use an, a, an enclosed encoder signal. So um, each one of the, the track segments, each one of the pieces uh, that build up a track, we sort of do it like a, like a Lego, uh, where we've got four different shapes that we then can turn into any other... Um, loops and curves and, and things of that nature. Obviously, it's a little difficult. I'm waving with my hands, but really mm-hmm. not getting much to, to anyone listening. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, we were able to hand off this magnetic field from segment to segment. So it's each each shuttle is controlled individually by a single or, or two, three coils on each individual track segment, uh, like the motor block. Uh, but then because of its very nature, the, the long stator part is we just put the stator next to another stator and then we can handle that transition. So mm-hmm. essentially we can have an infinite track as long as we had enough power sure. for that, this thing could go for miles. And that's sort of the, no- the novelty of it is mm-hmm. you're not fixed to a rotary period. You're not fixed mm-hmm. to sort of a, a stroke length because linear motors have been around for, for quite a while. Yeah. But they always have end stops, right? You've mm-hmm. got 800 millimeters of stroke or whatever. Yeah. This is... Yeah, infinite, and we're expecting you know for you to be able to put a hundred or more of these these individual motors side mm-hmm. by side, and they're you know all about just over a half meter long, so you can have mm-hmm. fairly sizable you know travel. Yeah. Okay, so a hundred uh, segments. How many shuttles? We're talking to two hundred, three hundred. The hopefully you know okay. it's it's more. It's not a limitation that we've run into quite yet. Sure. I assume it's going to be something probably not on the hardware side, but mm-hmm. you know, on the PC. And I, I just did want to jump back real quick. So you're saying as as the shuttles move across two segments, there's mm-hmm. something happening in the the software firmware side of things that's that's handling the transition. Yeah, is that similar to what happens when we're going through a diversion? So going from you know one track segment to an adjacent track segment. Yeah, uh, we use the magnetic field and as the sort of the encoder signal. So we can feel where a shuttle is based on the, the magnets. Okay. Uh, and then very quickly we've got, you know, power links. So our, our real-time deterministic uh, field bus is, is able to talk very quickly between 
any two segments, whether they're side by side or parallel, mm -hmm. uh, and then use, especially when they're parallel, use like a field weakening to actually just sort of nudge the magnetic mm -hmm. field across. It's yeah. sort of, it's kind of cool, uh, but very, very simple as we just, mm -hmm. you know, make one side feel 20 newtons more pull mm -hmm. force than the other side. So it sort of casually jumps, jumps over. across. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Good. So you mentioned a hundred meters and two to 300 shuttles. That sounds like a lot. <laughs> is that a typical application to have that, that much track and that many shuttles? Or you just tell me like, what is a normal architecture? Is there a normal I architecture? Say, I don't <laughs> think that there's something that I would consider normal. Obviously, you know, think people like to think in, in, in loops, mm -hmm. uh, because that's sort of just standard technology. So rotary dials, conveyance systems, they all sort of lend themselves to the start and the finish right. are the same place. Mm -hmm. But we're trying to get people to think a little bit outside that box. So yeah. can we, excuse me, flip the track on its side and be able to have one straight where you're doing, you're doing a process and then a return area underneath. So you take mm -hmm. your oval and flip it up on its side. But uh, our hope is, <clears throat> is that, no, we, we never get into a, a normal. We want to find some optimal mm -hmm. ones. So we're constantly playing in Visio and doing all sorts of drawings and mm -hmm. trying this, trying that. Does it fit for, for floor space? But recently, uh, the last few have all been um, loops, just traditional stuff, but, but being able to use the varying space between shuttles Mm -hmm. uh, to, to make the most advantage uh, to use it versus, say, a standard conveyor or, okay. or rotary dial. So let's, uh, I guess, dig into that a little bit more uh, since, since you just mentioned it. So I guess uh, oftentimes, like when I talk to people about Aquapot Strike, the first thing they're thinking is, oh, this is a really cool way to move things around my plant. But that's not really the right application, right? So what, what is the right application and what is the wrong, we'll say, application? Yeah, so if it has to move, you know, just fast or or long distances, mm -hmm. probably not it, because because there's no there's no control really necessary there. If you're just mm -hmm. sort of dropping it on a shuttle and sending it off and forgetting it, mm -hmm. um, probably not the best use of it. But okay. if you've got something that um, probably it doesn't doesn't have to be about size, but it's about the variation in how a product needs to move. Okay. or how, the various different places it needs to get to. So if that can be something that's software-driven where day one, you know, maybe we're, we're doing ice cream just as a, as a nice example. So we're feeding strawberry in, mm -hmm. and at some point, you know, we finish baking strawberry and we want to put on vanilla. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that's standard packaging. That's standard production is one mm -hmm. flavor at a time. But now, say we've got a plant where we've got three or four lines, and they're all just doing different flavors. But I don't know. Some marketing person decides, hey, this this month it's Neapolitan is the mm -hmm. chocolate vanilla strawberry. Yep. Yep. Say we want to do a Neapolitan pack. Okay. So now you've got chocolate vanilla strawberry, and you feed them all into the same packaging machine mm -hmm. at, at total random, and let the system decide. Right. Okay. Normally, to do that, you'd have you know maybe ten or twenty or thirty people taking. Mm -hmm packages of the individual flavors ripping them open and sort of placing them all by hand to make these packs well the goal is is to get something that's flexible and that's what the track brings you is that flexibility okay um and and that's really the the most optimal solution for it is you've got different flavors that you want you know different outputs maybe you want to throw in okay we've got all this but we want to do maybe two chocolates and a vanilla just because that's something that someone ordered right mm -hmm. say from a cell phone mm -hmm. you know you put in hey 
I want this to be my ice cream pack. And then it spits that out for you. And that's the sort of flexibility. Obviously, you know, it wouldn't be an individual ordering it, but it could be, say, the corporate ordering system that spits mm-hmm. these out. And that, that would be sort of the ideal case. But it's it's all about flexibility in the output of the machine, whether it's a mix of different types or if it's something where you want to be able to at any one time, you know, just change on the fly. And that that's the big thing is is we don't think about things like that right now. And I think that's where we're sort of in education mode mm-hmm. is, you know, long run single item batches. Fine if, if it works for you, but there's mm-hmm. going to be a case or maybe there's a different revenue stream available to you by going to these smaller order quantities, going to these customized things. You may not do you know, tens of millions of units, mm-hmm. but as a, as a company, you know, the flexibility of orders that you're probably saying no to because you don't have that flexibility, that is something that essentially you're, you were just throwing away previously. And now you can actually take that in house. Um, and, and instead of paying just to keep with the ice cream thing, a, a, like someone like a, a co-packing, a co-packer, mm-hmm. someone mm-hmm. that you just pay where you're, I'm going to send you product. Right. You're going to rip it open. You're going to make whatever I tell you to be the packaging, you know, and then ship it off to our, our customers. And so that, that would be obviously an ideal, that would be best case scenario for, for the use of, of track technology. Okay, good. And that sounds like it might be kind of hard to program. You've got each shuttle, you've got to program each shuttle. Is that Yes, exactly. Uh, no, actually not. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yes, no. <laughs> we, we program each shuttle. But it's not like we have to maintain uh, control of that from, from say, the operator or the uh, programmer side from start to finish. Okay. And I guess that's that's sort of where you were leading me, and, and I got lost there for a sec. But uh, we actually do it more like path planning. So it's more like GPS. We know at any one point where a shuttle is. We know where it needs to go. And because mm-hmm. it's sort of a, a closed system, we can draw a line from A to B. Okay. Um, and then just release it. And it sort of meanders its way. And if anyone gets in its way, it'll slow down and wait its turn, you know, mm-hmm. very patiently. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then when an obstacle or another shuttle gets out of its way, it speeds back up and goes on its way. And, and that's sort of takes a lot of the, the pressure off of a programmer. Because if you've got to deal with every set position, every mm-hmm. sort of collision yep. point in, in the system, it becomes very tedious. And our goal is to take a lot of that off of you as the programmer. Uh, and sort of just say, all right, sort of fire and forget. Mm-hmm. You're going there. Good luck to you. Yeah. I, I'll see you <laughs> see, when see you, when get, you get, there. get back. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So really, you know, it it'll raise its hand when it gets to where it's at, and that's the only ones you have to deal with. So you're not okay. dealing with all of them at any one time. You may only be dealing with maybe 10 percent, if that, mm-hmm. uh, in the program at any one time. So we write everything to be very modular and localized, where it's like, you know. I call it amnesic, right? You shuttle mm-hmm. shows up, you know yeah. everything about it, you talk to it, it walks away and you've already forgotten about it. And then the user shows up, oh, hey. Then you talk to it, you deal mm-hmm. with it and send it off and you've already forgotten about it. And that's yeah. that's the sort of the way that you have to deal with it. You want to deal with it with localized points versus looking at it as a system. Because as you mentioned, you know, big, lots of shuttles. Mm-hmm. You know, if you talk about machines with 200 servo axes, people go, blah. Yeah. <laughs> so you mentioned something kind of in that... Uh, uh, discussion where you're, you're talking about collision avoidance. Mm-hmm. So that's something that uh, I, I was actually talking to someone the other day and he was had some experience on another track system. He's like, 
Yeah, I just don't know about this stuff because he's like, last time we worked with this, you know, we, you have no idea how many of these things I just like exploded into each other. So, you know, making a small mistake and you could easily do that. What, what happens in, on a, an ACPOS track if you, let's say, like try to intentionally cause a collision or is that possible? Like, what, what, what No, uh, from, from our standpoint, we actually, so we pre-calculate the, the whole path, right? We don't, okay. we don't actually calculate all of the, the movements inside of it, but we say, all right, here's your path. Here's A to B. Mm-hmm. Um, if at any point in time, once the first shuttle starts moving, if you send a shuttle from B to A, they actually both come to a stop because the path that the second shuttle from B to A mm-hmm. was drawn intersects with a, with the first shuttle. And so then they'll both come to a stop and say, you know, collision deadlock. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, it actually knows pretty early on okay. what's going on. Um, and so, you know, we tell people, it's like, listen, the only way to get two shuttles to crash is to turn the system off and to sort of bang them together by hand because mm-hmm. the system itself keeps track of, you know, every shuttle to the left and right of each individual shuttle. So it knows its okay. neighbors. It mm-hmm. looks left, it looks right, and then sort of travels along uh, to keep in mind that, you know, we could be carrying EpiPens or some, some sort of, you know, expensive medical device mm-hmm. on this. And so we don't, we don't want these things bashing into each other and not, you know, right. maybe if it was all like ho-hos or cupcakes or whatever, <laughs> we would be a little more comfortable with that, you know. I don't but, know. I don't, I don't want to get my ho-hos all <laughs> smashed in the box. <laughs> oh, man. Okay, good. So uh, I guess one of the things that, that we do a lot is simulation with these ACPOS track systems. So can you just talk about uh, what do we mean when we say simulation A and then kind of like what do you expect people to get out of a simulation? Is it just an animation? What what do you really expect people to use this for? Yeah, it's, it is, it's a useful animation. So obviously okay. when you think animation, you think cartoons. And, mm-hmm. and really that's what it is. All we're doing is visualizing how the track is going to run. So we have all the set points because we have, you know, the drives uh, simulated inside of the laptop. Mm-hmm. And then all they're doing is just following sort of X, Y coordinates. So if you, you know, drew it out as a, as a 2D system, it'd be very, you're just looking from the top down and you're watching the shuttles sort of move around a fixed path. Uh, but from that, we can get all sorts of really good information. So without having to build any hardware, without having to really take a lot of time, in less than a week, we can see where our bottlenecks are. Mm-hmm. We can actually optimize um, the throughput of any one station or the system as a whole just by varying the number of shuttles on a system, the speeds, the accelerations, um, you know, what we call the, the multi-up. So, you know, a single shuttle getting worked on is one up. Two shuttles getting worked on at the same time would be two up. That's sort of the nomenclature. Mm-hmm. And so by varying the number of uh, shuttles being worked on at any one time in any station, we can sort of affect... The, the bottlenecks. And, and mm-hmm. most of the time, if, if you're talking to, to end users uh, and people who do lie integration, you know, they're, they're chasing bottlenecks is how do we mm-hmm. improve one piece to open up that bottleneck to then find the next one. Uh, and, and we want to be able to sort of design. It. It's like, okay, pick where your mechanical bottleneck or your machine bottleneck is, and then let's pre-design the system to really keep that one full and then mm-hmm. let this other, the rest of the system uh, manage itself based off of whatever that trickle output is right uh, and that that's something that's that's hugely important that, that not a lot of other people sort of can show you very early on in the process for you mm-hmm. to make you know engineering decisions before you've actually designed a system I mean the track tends, tends to be the the backbone right it's mm-hmm. it's the main transport layer mm-hmm. uh, and so having that sort of defined 
then all you're doing is just like plugging modules on, right. whether it's a printer or labeler or whatever. You're just, yeah, it, it keeps it very modular. And that, that's mm-hmm. the goal is, is we can sort of get out of all of the other machines way right. by, yeah. by doing our work early and saying, all right, this is what we're going to deliver to you. And this is how it's going to work. Uh, and I, I've actually, you know, proven that out on all of these, these demos and machines that we've worked on is, you know, we, we get hardware like less than two weeks before it yeah. needs to ship out. And so, 99% of your effort is is done on uh, a simulated environment. And then mm-hmm. it just sort of download the program, cross your fingers, close your eyes. And as long as you don't hear any loud noises, then it's like, okay, there we go. <laughs> and so that's, I guess, one of the really powerful things about the simulation is it, it is the machine code. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Super high fidelity with, mm-hmm. with what's actually going on. And so it's not like you're, you're doing double work, right? Mm-hmm. The minute you create a simulation, you actually have a starter project for what your machine could be. Okay. Um, and so, you know, that's that, that could be huge. I mean, obviously we talk about moving quicker, right? Not just the, mm-hmm. the product, but also the design cycle. And that that is definitely a leg up on, on the design cycle as far as how fast you can get to market with this sort of thing is if you can do most of it just casually, <clears throat> you know, before you design it or before you build it, that obviously gets you further down. So your commissioning period is much shorter because mm-hmm. a lot of the issues that you're going to run into, uh, maybe you can say, oh, you know what? Turns out that would be a bottleneck. So here, let me adjust the speeds of the rest of the line and the other places to sort of meet my bottleneck. And if that's meet your throughput needs, boom. We talked about simulation. We've talked about the mechanics of the system, the electrical parts, the control. Um, I feel like we've kind of talked about Track as it is today. Mm-hmm. So, what can you share with us as far as what's coming in the future? Anything that's not confidential? Is there anything that you can you know tell us what to keep an eye out for? Uh, yeah, there's there's a couple things. Um, so on our roadmap, obviously, like I said earlier, packaging is big, but but also beverages. So okay. so we need to be able to live near and in systems that do bottling and sort of handle food. Mm-hmm. So we have to be able to be washed down. So having a, an IP69K, so a, a caustic washdown mm-hmm. uh, variant, was is absolutely crucial for 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 us going forward. So that's going to be something where it's going to be just a gleaming mass of stainless steel, just very nice. very shiny. I cannot <laughs> wait to get uh, some shuttles in to be able to to see what they're going to look like. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing is is obviously uh, on the safety side. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, BNR has has a whole safe motion control uh, mm-hmm. suite of things to be able to have you know people interact with um, press heads and servos and things like that nature mm-hmm. in, in a safe manner uh, and being able to add that to the track means that we can have operators interacting with the track in one part while a piece on the other side is moving at full production speed and so really being able to do you know changeover on the fly mm-hmm. uh, or maintenance on the fly can be can be pretty crucial for for time yeah OEE. And then the other, I guess, the last piece is looking at, you know, what, what Optima showed. Um, mm-hmm. So if you look up the, the uh, Optima Akpos track demo, uh, they integrated uh, a flex link or some plastic chain conveyor with Akpos track and were able to hand off shuttles and mm-hmm. receive shuttles back on Akpos track. And so that's obviously for, for as we talked about those long runs, mm-hmm. that's a great way to do it is you right. put something that's sort of a well-known quantity that can handle, you know, changes in elevation. So you sort of just run it up to the ceiling and then mm-hmm. it sort of kind of finds its way eventually over overhead and out of the way of the rest of the system. And that, that's a lot of how uh, end users, you know, 
design their plants anyway, as you've mm-hmm. got sort of first floor, second floor, right. third floor, and third floor is mostly about just getting things mm-hmm. to and fro. So any other insights there? The basics, right? Um, interaction with robots. Obviously, okay. that's going to be big one is is how do we, and I can't wait for, for us to maybe be, I don't know, not the first, but maybe one of the first to get mm-hmm. a cobot and, and okay. have it interact. I mean, that's going to be that's going to be a big thing, obviously, with the ABB acquisition. Mm-hmm. We now got a lot of really cool robots mm-hmm. yeah, uh, in, our, in, our, in our product family. And so, you know, the mobile robot. So imagine mm-hmm. having mm-hmm. a robot on wheels sort of drive itself up mm-hmm. uh, and, and act like an operator for a little bit. That That's something that, that I think is going to be, you know, a little bit on the R&D side, but it could mm-hmm. be vital for sort of these flexible lines. I mean, we talk about flexibility. And if you could have a robot drive itself up, park next to the track, interact with either the shuttles or the product itself. Mm-hmm. And then once its job is done, or maybe where it's needed more somewhere else, sort of mm-hmm. just goes, all right, this, you know, uncouples yeah. from it and drives itself away. I mean, that's, I mean, we're talking like Jetsons level stuff here <laughs> right now, but, but you know, it's, it's there, all the pieces are there. Mm-hmm. And now it's just someone brave enough to, to pull it off. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. So it sounds like there's a, a lot of cool stuff coming down the pipeline. There's a lot of cool stuff already out. So I'm excited to uh, see some applications as they start rolling out here. Yeah, and people are starting to, you know, spin up on it a little bit, mm-hmm. get a little bit of traction. It's it's definitely a totally different way of thinking. So I'm, I'm super excited to see what some people, you know, come up with. Because now that we're sort of releasing it to the general public, now mm-hmm. you've got a lot more people with a lot more ideas. Right. Um, and so, I, yeah, I have a feeling that's, you know, here. So we're going to see some really cool uses of it. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Derek. I appreciate you you, uh, uh, taking some time to to talk with us about ACPOS Track. No, thank you. Much appreciated. This has been great. Well, if uh, you want to reach Derek, uh, I'll give you his personal cell phone number. I'm just kidding. (laughs) On my business card. No. So, uh, yeah, I guess in the future episodes, we're going to be talking about uh, some more exciting stuff. We'll be talking about more ACPOS Track. Um, I've got a conversation lined up with Dave Emery, who's the director of sales for track technology at BNR. Uh, we'll talk about SuperTrack, IIoT, machine learning, lots of cool stuff uh, on the schedule. So super excited about that. Um, if, if you're an Apple podcast uh, or Spotify user, make sure you follow us, subscribe on there. And uh, if you enjoyed the podcast, make sure you leave a comment on LinkedIn or on Apple Podcast. Uh, if you need to get in touch with me or if you have a special request or idea for the show, uh, you can pass that along to me directly through LinkedIn uh, or, of course, by email. You can reach me at automationpodcast at gmail.com. As always, this episode was sponsored by BNR. Uh, so Derek and I are, are both uh, BNR employees, so sponsored by BNR in more than one ways. But, uh, you know, in between episodes, if there's any... Uh, uh, anything that you want to learn, make sure you check out the BNR website and the BNR YouTube channel. There's lots of really good content on there. So thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on This Is Automation. Automation.